Welcome to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And today, we've been doing this program for a couple of years, Cindy, haven't we? Uh, yeah. What is yes. it, like six years now, something no. like that? <laughs> it's longer than that. Sure. Oh, it's like is 10 it? years. Oh, my gosh. 10, 12. I have, no, 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 no. You're, you're totally wrong. We'd, 15. I mean, I can't believe that you're that wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, when we started the program... Uh, the theme music that you hear, Take Five by the Dave Brubeck Quartet, is the theme music that we had because the original name of the program was Take Five mm-hmm. until we had sense enough to just simplify it and make it our names. So we remembered who we were. And call it Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. Right, exactly. Because that's all we that ever talk about. Said, mm-hmm. kind of, sort of. So, but I thought today, maybe let's take five topics that we feel like we have not addressed enough. Mm-hmm. A certain amount of what's on your mind. So once in a while we might do a, a take five program, just take five things we're thinking about or perhaps need to argue about. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll discuss. We would never argue, right? No. Or have strong opinions. So what you had something on you had something on your mind. So what was what was on for, your mind? For me, it's I, I just can't get tra- I can't get away from travel because I just want to travel so so badly, and I you know and you know if you sometimes I see things on Instagram especially that I'm just oh there's this new hotel in uh, well which is unbelievably expensive so I'll never get to go there but I I wish I could at least see it. Um, but there's a new hotel at Versailles, and uh, the rooms are, it must be in the palace. Um, I'm not completely sure if that's accurate, but when you see the views out the windows, it's just, it's the gardens. You know, remember when we had that restaurant where we used the photograph of the gardens and made a painting on the wall? I mean, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, those gardens are so gorgeous. And the idea of like one of the photographs they keep posting is of this gorgeous bathroom with this amazing tub and you can sit in the tub and look out the window and look at the gardens of Versailles. And whenever I go to Paris, I always try to go to the gardens. I, I think I've only been in the chateau once or the palace um, once, but um, I always go out to the grounds. I like to go out to the canals that are at the near the end of... Um, the view out those back windows of the palace. And uh, a lot of Parisians or people from France go there and have picnics and just hang out and, you know, listen to music or whatever. And I I just love to go there and, you know, take some baguette from a local shop um, in the town and, um, or pastries or whatever, coffee and just sit and, and be peaceful there. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful place. I think it would be amazing to, so that's like a dream of mine, which will probably never happen, but it's fun to think about. We'll break it in you one second. So your food and wine part of this is baguette and a coffee on the lawn at Versailles. Right. And that anybody can do. <laughs> that doesn't cost a billion dollars. <laughs> no, no. And all, all the little, sh- I mean, I took one of our pastry chefs there uh, to Versailles, and we went through a lot of the pastry shops, and we went to the markets there. And um, gosh, that was uh, that was a that was just an amazing, I had no idea there was so much in the little town there. 
It's not that little actually. And, um, you know, just, I, I definitely suggest going there. Um, it's not that far from Paris. You can either take a car, you can drive a car, you can take the train. Um, and I believe the train, at least back before all this, um, used to go quite a few times a day. So it's really reasonable to approach it that way, which is nice if you don't, you know, driving in Paris is not exactly the nicest, easiest thing in the world. So uh, taking the train to Versailles is probably a great way to do it. But if you already have a car, you could do that. But, you know, and Alain Ducasse has uh, the restaurant on the hotel's property. So, I mean, that means it's going to be amazing. And uh, so I'm extremely excited. It's like what I keep dreaming about. I just, I, mean, I could at least go to the restaurant. And um, then the other thing is, is I just can't get going to Paris off my mind. I, I, I want to eat at Benoit. I want to eat at all the restaurants that I love so much. And Lamboisie is really, really, truly one of my very top favorite restaurants in the world. And Chef there is, he's very, very talented and he is very modest, I think. Um, you never see him, you know, out in the media doing anything. He, he, he is just, and I've met him a couple of times, especially because I've, because I've been there often at lunch on my last few trips. You're talking about Lamboisie, the three-star Michelin on the Place de Vosges. Yes. And in, uh, in the fifth arrondissement in Paris. Exactly. And, and the restaurant is, it's an old, I believe it's an old townhouse as are mm -hmm. all those properties there on the Place de Vosges. Uh, and I mean, it's just, <laughs> the restaurant is so beautiful. You definitely feel like you're in a very, very grand home. And I really have decided I just love going there at lunch. I, I, I always ask if I can sit in the second dining room. So when you walk in, there is an interior room that's very, very pretty, but I prefer to go to the next one, which has windows. And so I can see, you can see out onto the next um, property and, you know, obviously just get the sunshine and everything and the light in the room. But um, the last time I was there, uh, you know, the, the lunch I had was just one of the best meals I've ever had. And I had squab and truffle courses and morel courses. And uh, chef does a, an amazing course with snails and a cilantro puree and very, very large um, pasta, handmade pasta shells, uh, and w white beans. And it's just such a gorgeous, gorgeous dish. It's actually one I've tried to duplicate, sort of. And um, it is, I just, I just think he's brilliant. So if, if you can go to a restaurant like that, I strongly suggest that. Um, so I dream about going back there because I'd like to see what Chef is doing now. And um you know, especially because it's been it's been uh, almost two years now since I've been there. I actually did not work last night, and I made dinner for uh, uh, my girls. Good. And they always want me to make pasta, and so I was making pasta. <laughs> and I was saying that this summer we couldn't travel, but w I was also thinking about Europe and and having dragged them around a bit. Um, I asked, you know, where do you want to go? Aww. And Dell immediately, Umbria. Oh, golly. She because said that? Gone to Umbria before. <laughs> she and, said Umbria? And, and, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and, and she said that. Well, we, we also stayed in a, a crazy, like, it was not big money at all uh, to stay in kind of a crazy old castle with, you know, 20-foot ceilings in the room. And, and furniture had to be from the 20s <laughs> or 30s or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> you, know, they, you hear the crack of the thunder and... Whoa, we, that was a that was a long night. Immediately, go hide in the wardrobe. 
poor. That's so uh, cute. That's cool. Well, that's just like so right I, out of an old movie I, or something. So I, that, so I asked her, what, what did she like about that? She's like, I like the castle. I liked eating in the castle's courtyard. Hmm. And their pasta was excellent, Dad. Their pasta was terrific. Like, what did you like about it? She said, well, they made really rich egg pasta. And you said that was unusual for Umbria. And I'm just thinking, that's three years ago. You were Golly. four. Wow, that's amazing. That is already stuck in your head. Golly. She's that's already be... stuck in your head. That's... And she had, the, the, the dish that she was going on about is one that she loved that was a, a, a veal ragu with um, some veal liver also in the ragu that was delicious. It definitely had a strong flavor. And a little bit of um, truffle drizzle as well, you know, because they'll have preserved truffle from uh, black truffle from Umbria. Sure. And I'm just thinking, okay, all right, yes. If if my four year old who does love a grilled cheese can appreciate this, a lot of people probably would like that. Mm-hmm. But I try to encourage her that well, we should go to other places too. She's like, well, like Sicily. <laughs> I'm like, and she and she remembered and every there. single detail. Oh wow! Yeah, and she remembered every single detail about her, her favorite pasta there, <laughs> which had like flaked grilled sardines and green almonds and uh, fresh garlic and and these uh, uh, toasted breadcrumbs and just ridiculous. And <laughs> I'm just thinking, wow. I wonder uh, what I she'll be I, when she grows up. You know, will she be in the restaurant business? Will she I, be a chef, you know, or uh, or not? But it's interesting that you're giving your children such an unusual life from my, the beginning well, of theirs. That, my official prediction at seven is that she'll be some kind of a scientist. Oh, that's cool. Her, her her curiosity is vigorous. That's cool. And uh, and hmm. her memory is prodigious. So anyway, that's nice. but it's funny. We were talking about travel, sitting at dinner last night, and going on about that. So I had to show her all these pictures, and I wanted to see the Dolomites and. I'm showing the girls that. And so then it was decided that we'd have to take, uh, you know, and, and you, could, you can do this in some of the less popular regions in Italy or, or in, in Austria, honestly. You, you can stay in a bunch of old castles for not crazy money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was all because my four-year-old is, you know, the princesses are a very big thing. <laughs> if, not, if not mermaids, princesses. So... You know that so so the trip next summer, God willing, and and uh, and COVID relenting, mm-hmm. you know, we'll yeah. try to spend a castle tour with those girls if that is what they want next time. Sounds good. But I do know that Del will remember every detail, <laughs> and I just think, man, child's memory of food—that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you that's can remember things, very particular dishes, flavors, smells of food mm-hmm. from your childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's part of what drives you. It is. I mean, that's when you said that, it just brought back the memory that the reason I was hired for my my apprenticeship in Charleston um, when I was 19 was because the sous chef, Susan Wigley, said, y- y- even though you don't have any kitchen experience, because I had really just waited on tables and done some prep when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, she said, you know, your palate is so advanced because of all the experiences you've had because of your mom and dad traveling with you and, and the good cooking in your family. And, uh, you know, my dad was in the food business and 
you know, with a grandfather was that had a butcher shop and great grandfather that had a butcher shop. I mean, I also know it's in my blood. So it's, you know, I think that's a great opportunity that you can give a child to open their mind to food like that. I mean, for her to be eating sardines at that age or either one of them, you know, I mean, that's crazy. And those are flavors that are so strong. Most adults don't like things like olives. A lot of adults don't like olives. So, you know, I mean, I think it's just a, a real gift that you give them. And I I, ho- I wish that all people would do that for their children. And, and I wish all adults could open their mind to, you know, themselves because it opens so many doors. Uh, you know, I, I was watching a show and the people were traveling in Europe and they were ordering hamburgers. And I just I almost had to turn the show off because I'm just like, first of all, come on. Why even travel if you're going to eat American food when you're, I'm sorry, and I have a feeling this is going to be a little controversial what I'm about to say, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to break in and say I love the heck out of a hamburger and about as much as anyone alive. I know you do. Yeah. That being said, if, you know, (laughs) when in Rome. (laughs) Right. You know. I mean, that to me is the reason you travel is to experience other people's cultures. That's from getting to talk to them and learning their history and eating their food and being at the table. I mean, that, that, that's the joy of traveling and getting to visually see what other people's countries are like, but to, to become more understand, you know, to be able to understand food and wine better through somebody else's culture is just one of the most opening, you know, mind opening things I think I've ever experienced. Well, sharing food is a a basic, you know, human, generous, joyful thing, right? I mean, that Mm -hmm. there are not one thing I always spend time telling staff is we are the best part of so and so's day. We're supposed to be. They've been thinking about it for a week, a month, you know, whatever stretch of time. Mm -hmm. Maybe just maybe just a few minutes. Oh, this would be great, and that's exactly it. This would be great, right? Mm-hmm. And when you when you go somewhere else, it, there's there's a reason people are pleased that you're there. Sure, they want to get paid, but people who are compelled to cook for others and and to to serve food to other people, you know that that's got to be in your heart, right? Well, that's the thing about what's been so hard about what's happened over the last year and so many months. When we had to close, and I didn't get to feel the guests in the dining room and see the guests in the dining room and go out and talk to them and or get feedback from the waiters saying, oh my gosh, that this table loved this dish so much. I mean, that's what I live for. I, I live to cook. I love to work. I live to work with food and to create the best dish I can possibly make out of this thing that, you know, God and farmers put on this earth and to respect that and then to put it in front of the guests in a way that they will truly enjoy it uh, from the heart. And to not have the guests in the room was one of the more heartbreaking things for me during this time. Well, it's it's the sharing, right? I mean, that that that's yeah. what an awful lot of people have missed and they've distracted themselves with lots of things, but but uh, that's that's what an awful lot of people Well, we're missed. all, the front of the house and the back of the house, we're all here for the guest. That's what we're here for. And like you say, I mean, people think about, oh, I can't wait to have a dinner at this place. And you may think about it, like right now we're talking about it. I mean, I've been dreaming about eating at Lamboisie for two years now. I mean, so when I go... That puts a lot of, <laughs> you know, I'm sure the chef doesn't care if I'm there or not, but in the end, that puts a lot of responsibility on that restaurant to perform because, I mean, that's how I feel. I feel like every time a guest comes in, I am so thankful for, for them wanting to come to eat 
our food. And I bear the the responsibility of that with every single dish I put out of my kitchen. And 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 I that's what we strive for is to make that guest as happy as we can. And of course we're not perfect. No one is. And you know, we'll make a mistake and God, I hope it's very few. But you know, we try well, to do our very best with every single plate that goes out of that kitchen because I want to exceed their expectations. I want them to be as happy as they can be. It is reasonable to expect that the people who are in the business of cooking for a living and serving people for a living, part of part of it, if not a lot of it or all of it, is because of how they feel about other people. And that's, you know, I, I think that that is important to remember. And I think that through a lot of this time, a lot of those people have been affected a little bit differently mm-hmm. um, than some other folks may have been. Anyway, we should break. And we've got, and this is a big topic, but we should <laughs> move on and, and catch a couple more topics on a former wolf on food and wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Formidable Farm Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're, we're running through five topics, sort of like our old program title, Take Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we spent time on travel. And now... Now it's time to talk about leftovers, Tony, because... Th- that's you, on my mind. You Well, you have a family, so that's the difference between you and me. I live in a house by myself, so I, one, I've never liked leftovers, even when my mom made them. Uh, nothing against my mother's cooking, but um, I, I don't know. And of course, I don't make that much food here, so you're the leftover king. Tell me what is happening I, at your I'm, house right I'm, now I'm, with I'm, leftovers. I'm not, I'm not the leftover king. See, the, <laughs> the, the, the reality is, the reality is, when I was single, my refrigerator consistently had a couple of bottles of water, a couple of bottles of either champagne or rosé or something, uh, Dijon mustard, some capers. <laughs> That's funny. And, and, Keep going. And from, and Keep going. Time, and, <laughs> from, and from time to time, well, I. It, it was a similar condition, and from time. Well, to that's time, exactly what I have in my refrigerator. <laughs> from from good. From t- and 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 maybe butter, you know, like mm-hmm. so. From from time to time, I would cook at home, and if I did, I got everything like exactly that I needed, and not exactly. more than that. Exactly. And I would yeah. cook it the right number of portions and be done, mm-hmm. and nothing really lived in the fridge. Right. That's exactly but, my situation. But that that is not what my situation has become. Mm-hmm. And while it's joyful, and and there are wonders of a leftover turkey burger at like one thirty in the morning when you're done with work. Um, <laughs> f- the fishing out of things and the tripping over various yogurt snacks and mm-hmm. and uh, different packs. kinds of different <laughs> kinds of pickles and all this kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's a it's a different thing. So I've developed um, an approach to leftovers. Which is? You have to figure out what is the thing that you like the best about that leftover. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it's if it's um, the side dishes for X, 
but maybe you maybe the the protein is not there. Maybe there was broccoli rabe, and maybe there were olive oil crushed potatoes, and there's some left of both. So if you heat those guys up, what else do you have that can that can land on those guys? I know that sounds odd and and foreign to you, but you you, you really. have to. I mean, I get it. I, I mean, I certainly get it. I, I, as a chef, I I I do have to deal with leftovers sometimes at the restaurant, obviously, because we don't lose any product. It's just the difference between you dealing with it at home with a family and me dealing with it in a professional environment. That's the difference. So, you know. Well, and and having to just make a meal out of leftovers, it's, that's supposed to be different. You know, with a, like pasta yesterday, I was talking about making pasta. Um, I'd forgotten. <laughs> I'd just basically forgotten to get an ingredient, which was a protein. But there were chicken breasts left from from previous night, so it all of a sudden, well, like I I did an adaptive uh, abruzzese uh, pasta with uh, um, with you know tomato paste and making a sauce with the leftover chicken breast. But first, it's sweated garlic and and onion, and I needed to give them I needed to give protein. The, the girls kind of freak out if they don't get that. But I also try to sneak in things that they say that they really don't like. Like eggplant, for example. You know, so sweating garlic and onions and sautéing eggplant. Uh, and with that, uh, adding the olives, adding tomato paste, adding the chicken breast, a little red wine, uh, a little stock, making a sauce for pasta. Basically making a ragu of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, something that was tighter. And then tossed the, um, um, it was really nice fusilli. And, and tossing the fusilli with uh, the cherry tomatoes that are in season locally and lots of fresh basil and lots of good oil, and plating that and then, and then a spoon of the ragu on top of that. I would just like some of that as a leftover. <laughs> that sounds yeah, good. But, but it's, it's just like some fresh things and then adapting a leftover. Yeah. Well, so, you know, my, my niece Jasmine uh, makes food for a few days uh, so that when her husband comes home from work or she comes home from work, it's so much easier for them to have dinner together. And so do you do any of that kind of cooking any, or have ideas for things like that that might last a few days? See, my, my wife is from a family of seven children, so she doesn't know how to make anything that is in small batches. It, it is against her makeup. Um, so if she makes pizza, she makes like four large pizzas. So th- there will be pizza that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, wh- whatever. And so there are times when, when I'll also just make something that's popular, roast the chicken, and save the, you know, Use the breast for for dinner one night, and then save the legs to uh, to season differently and cook them as a, like a, almost like a, a fricassee or with a little bit of stock for taco meat, and make chicken tacos another night. I think that that honestly, I think is one of the more efficient things that you can do, especially right now. I mean, it's farm season, right? You can just get a whole bunch of fantastic vegetables on a plate and mm-hmm. and and a protein. It's a little tougher to do in February. It's just quicker to cook in the summertime because so many things are either eaten cold uh, or, you know, it's it's a salad or something just super easy. 
Um, you know, and why not celebrate that? It's healthy, it's good for you. And, um, you know, it's, it's hot outside, so why not keep it to cold food? And maybe you have a grilled chicken breast, something fun off the grill, a pork loin, you know, a, a lamb, a lamb, bunch of lamb chops, and then you just make some sort of salsa verde or serve it with avocado and extra virgin and your, you know, your cherry tomatoes that you were talking about. You know, we're, it's just such a bountiful, beautiful time of the year to cook and to eat and to be healthy. So it's, it's really, um, you know, and, and with cold food, you probably don't have leftovers as much, but some things like it say you made a cabbage slaw or something like that. It might actually even be better the next day. So that's kind of fun too. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, leftovers in my mind, <laughs> having right. just dealt with them. Um, so what, what is on your mind? I just really, really can't believe that crabs are as expensive as they are right now. So I've been thinking because I know how much people want crab meat. And so I've been trying to think of different ways that we can serve crab. Uh, and it's also sometimes just not available, um, fresh local crab meat. So, and I will buy from all along the southeastern seacoast as well as, as, as this area. Um, so it's sort of some fun ways to sort of combine crab meat with other things um, so that it's not expensive for people, you know, to just make a crab cake right now is going to cost a lot of money. Uh, so we will mix it with maybe with tomatoes and make a beautiful salad out of it or with avocado and tomato. You could even make a layer of crab with, you know, a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, lime juice, a little salt and pepper, some sort of herb from your garden. Maybe you grow tarragon or basil. Um, something like that is very pretty. Chai, fresh chives. Anything like that is good with crab. You don't want to overwhelm the flavor of the crab. And then maybe do the bottom layer with avocado, a little bit of finely chopped shallot or red onion. Again, a little bit of lime juice or lemon juice, um, a touch of corn oil, a little bit of jalapeno. You could put cilantro in with that instead of putting any herb in with the crab meat. And that way, and maybe you put sliced tomato underneath that, but you can, you know, one, you can have a pretty presentation and, you know, have fun at your house showing, again, kids how to plate something or use a ring mold and you put the avocado mixture on the bottom and the crab mixture on the top. And maybe you do thin slices of tomato around or the little cherry tomatoes around, uh, drizzle that with extra virgin and season it with salt and pepper. And just, you have something that's really delicious and light and pretty. Um, and you're not, you know, you're still getting a little bit of that crab meat that you enjoy so much, but you're not breaking the bank, which is exactly what you're going to do if you try to make a crab cake right now. Well, how expensive have you seen? I've seen bushels of crabs, you know, well over $100. Oh, oh my like gosh. $160, $180. Oh, easy. easy. Uh, all the way up to 265 170 160 wow. to two. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, because actually one of my cooks wanted some for his family. And so I, because I don't buy bushels of crabs. And, um, so that was the first time I had bought them in probably over a year. And, um, I will buy crabs, uh, in the shell, hard shell to make stock. Well, I'm not doing that right now. That's for sure. Because that would be ludicrous. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, hard shells, hard shell crabs are very, very expensive. Uh, crab meat wholesale is right now, jumbo lump crab is domestic is $52 a pound. I mean, wholesale. I've never, so, yeah, yeah wholesale. So, so, so retail is usually at least 50% more than that. Uh, usually. I mean, I don't know if they're marking it up that much now because it's so prohibitive. You know, maybe, you know, that's probably another reason why you're not seeing much of it because people can't make any money off of it. So um, are, are there, are there dishes that are crab dishes that people really enjoy that you 
have been adapting in other ways? Or you've been thinking about adapting in other ways? Right. Well, believe it or not, lobster is less expensive. It's Lobster is also high right now. Um, there are a number of issues with lobsters right now in our country, but it's still, if you buy uh, a one pound culls, which means one of the claw claws has been, you know, is not there. Um, they, they fight each other, so they often lose a claw. And um, so the, the lobster so meat, pay, believe so it or you not, pay, you, pay <laughs> you less can make, for losers. Yeah, exactly. And you can make a lobster and crab cake, which would be fun to do. Or you can make a lobster and shrimp cake, which definitely would be less expensive because although that's another thing that's going on, now it's hard to find domestic shrimp. It's just uh, the whole thing with everything that's going on is unbelievable. But still, if you buy, say, a 1620 or 2630 count shrimp, which is that means there's between 26 and 30 shrimp per pound, so that means they're they're small. Um, but if you can buy domestic uh, small shrimp and uh, cook those, uh, cut them into small pieces and mix that with cooked lobster meat and mayonnaise and again, you know, whatever kind of herb you might like. Or I, I'm high on the whole whole grain mustard, um, mayonnaise, lemon juice, Tabasco, salt and pepper thing, a little bit of breadcrumb. Uh, that or you can make a salmon cake, which is definitely less expensive. Um, and I love salmon cakes. So, uh, but yeah, so utilizing, combining crab meat with something. Uh, I used to make a corn and crab cake, uh, which, gosh, I haven't thought about that in a while. And those are really, really good. Um, so you could do that as well. You just have to, yeah, think, add something to it to make it more cost effective for you at home. So you can still enjoy crab meat when it's at the height of its season, which is now. So. And for yeah. some reason in the winter, all I could think was, I can't wait till, it, yes, it's crab season, but especially when the corn comes and it's sweet mm-hmm. and the, and my girls love it. And I, so it's been in my brain to make a, a, you know, crab and corn bisque for months. Now here we are and the corn is here. And then if you want to even buy a, you know, a handful of crabs to make stock, and some and some crab meat. It's become a major project. Right. Well, I, I recently had that on the menu, and uh, it was very very popular. Um, but I I made a corn bisque. I didn't have stock. Uh, it was a it was a vegetarian soup, um, and then we just garnished it with lump crab. Which oh god, it's so pretty because the soup is so velvety and consistency. You have to strain it. You have to blend it well. You have to have a good blender. And blend it well and strain it maybe once, maybe twice. But you have such a velvety, gorgeous, sexy texture with that. And then add beautiful pieces of crab meat uh, to that hot soup, on, you know, right as you're put. You can pour the hot soup over the crab meat. I mean, you, you don't even have to heat the crab meat because a boiling hot soup will do its job. And oh, my goodness. I, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, I love corn bisque. It's one of my favorites. We recently switched to corn chowder, and um, I'm kind of missing that corn bisque. But yeah, it'll be fun to have the local... Corn. You know, so the other thing that that I've made for them before with again, corn's in season and and maybe I don't want to make the, the biscuit the same way. Uh, but any kind of grilled fish and they, they always like a rich something with that. Mm-hmm. And my girls are big fish eaters. Um any kind of grilled fish, uh salmon, tuna, uh rockfish, bronzino, you know, just there's a certain amount of you name it. Um Polenta, that beautiful fresh polenta mm. uh, mm-hmm. that you get from Anson's Mill. Yes. Adding as it finishes, uh, just enough to cook it, uh, bunches of fresh corn, 
like cut, you know, and big clusters from the husk is, uh, mm. yeah, that's that, that, that with, uh, you know, like, like you were talking about making herb sauces and those sorts of things, making a salsa verde or, uh, some kind of cilantro sauce, cilantro and lime with that be super. No, but have you, like have you done the, the fresh corn polenta like that? I haven't ever done that actually. No. Um, I like the idea of it. I, I am so in love with polenta. I can't tell you. It's one of my favorite, favorite things to eat. That's one of the reasons why it's often on the menu at Charleston, because I just want to eat some of it like every day. I, you know, I love grits, but I like polenta much better. I guess I like that fine grind no, the, to the corn and, mm. and it's, it's a, a labor of love a little bit, making both of those things, both grits and polenta. You have to cook it low and slow. That's a whole thing with both of them. It takes a good 30 minutes and, um, you got to do it right. And then it is so darn delicious. And that's a good, Hey, Tony, that's a good leftover polenta the next day. Yum. That is and, an excellent leftover. You can also mm-hmm. make polenta cakes with it too. Mm-hmm. You know, fry, fry those guys. And, uh, oh, I love crispy polenta. And a couple of eggs, and, and you've got a good situation. Oh, that sounds like a very good breakfast. All right. All right. Well, when we come back on Formidable Phone Food and Wine, we've got more stuff on our mind. <laughs> <laughs> on WYPR. <laughs> Welcome back to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And so today we're, we're, we're following our old Tick 5 format from the origin of the show that Cindy says was 15 years ago, but I think it's more <laughs> like, I think it's more like six or maybe seven. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was 15. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a while ago. So Tony, what's on your mind with wine right now? That's, that's exciting oh, to hear about. Fear. Uh-oh. I think Why? people. I think people live in wine fear. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, well, they, it's a, they, it's an intimidating. It can be an intimidating world. But Terminology. No, but, yeah. Yeah, you have to get over it. I mean, no one can pronounce everything. No one knows everything. Mm-hmm. You know, people they, they'll talk to you as though you're a guru. Like I know some stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've been doing and I've been doing this for a while, but. There's plenty that I don't, and there's plenty that changes. Right. The, the exploration and the pursuit is what's so entertaining. And if you let fear overcome you, you don't. You know, you, you latch on to the one thing that I liked that one time, so I'm just going to hang on to that one thing. Sure, it's easier for people. We, we would all be that. driving Model Ts if we did that about cars. <laughs> Well, and also learning, you know, it's sort of how I feel about learning a language. I feel embarrassed when I try to speak another language because I'm sure I'm going to make a mistake. And it's that same thing with wine. You feel like, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot and, you know, or whatever. And obviously you're not out there laughing at people when they they mispronounce wine or don't know what they're talking about because that would be awful. And that's just, that's not realistic. You know, I mean, obviously there's a concern, but at the same time, people should relax and not worry about it and just... And and try things. Ask, right, exactly. And try try things. Be brave. As soon as as you don't 
as soon as you don't have to know that you go, you have to enjoy every single drop or every single bite of everything in order to really love food or really love wine, you're going to enjoy your life so much more. You, you don't have to finish everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying things should be the pleasure. And, and you're going to find things that you don't love. Right. And you're going to find things that you love. But I think the things that I, that I like the best are when people taste something that's so different from what they're accustomed to and that you can see on their face. They're starting to think about it. Mm-hmm. They're starting to figure it out. And and people have good instincts about things. When you, the first time that you pour Suave Classico for someone, you know, Suave was a white wine from Italy that had a lousy reputation for a long time. And there's still an ocean of it that's not very interesting to drink. But there are really brilliant growers of Garganega, which is the grape of Suave. And Suave Classico is the best zone where this is grown. And if someone just takes a leap and tries it, if they happen to be doing that in May when it's asparagus season, you have one of the, honestly, one of the 10 best combinations of food and wine you could possibly have. And, And both are greatly aided by the other in their mm-hmm. enjoyment it's really mm-hmm. one of the most fun things that that's that's real music and dancing and there i mean there's certainly lots of others on the list but i, I just I, I invite people to not have fear of wine mm-hmm. they they know that they like uh napa valley cabernet sauvignon i like it too from certain producers in certain places it is unbelievably expensive from the best producers you know, the wine business is a real estate business. And if the real estate is well known, you're going to end up paying more for the wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that that's that's the, that's the reality of it. Because the person who bought that estate has to pay for that real estate. Got it. Of course. It's not more complicated than that. So discovering interesting things or finding a sort of lost forgotten things that are excellent. Yes, I take pride in that. But I think that people should in general take pride in that. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the world that's produced. There's a white wine from the southwest of France called Jurançon. Jurançon is made from uh, Gromansang, strange white grape in Basque country in the Pyrenees. Um, it has big richness, thick skins that actually give it a little bit of grape tannin. It ages well. It has good acidity, good freshness. The acidity is actually pretty sharp. Uh, but the cooking is strong in flavor. There's lots and lots of peppers in that cooking. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, you, if you're looking for something that can just kind of, you can chill it and it's just going to clean up whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that is an excellent thing to do. And there are only a couple of producers that come to the U.S. Is it possible for people to pick an inexpensive Bordeaux right now, uh, a, a red? Absolutely. That, okay, so what would Absolutely. you suggest? Like if they went into a restaurant or into a wine shop and wanted to buy something, is there something you like right now? Uh, lots of things. What I would say is let the vintages be your guide. So just just for wines from Bordeaux, you are in a vintage is very important. Um, 15's B plus for sure. 16 is an A. 18 is an A. 19 mm-hmm. Um is different is a different style vintage than eighteen, but also really high quality. Okay. And twenty looks to be really high quality. You're oh good. You're you're in a great stretch. 
That's nice. Good for them. Good for you, the you're, you're growers in a great there. Stretch, which, All right. Which means a lot of times the small projects of some of the best producers, and maybe it's not going to be from one of the famous Appalachians. It's not going to be from Santa Million. Maybe it's from next door in the Castillon. Which is like, what, a couple of kilometers away, right? I mean... No, it's literally some of the vineyards border on saint There you go. Right. So, I mean, I think that's something to think about, too, when you understand Bordeaux, is that all those little places are very close together. It's not like in our states where it's like a state away or something, you know? Well, I mean, and and that you have to kind of get over it being mostly Merlot and not Cab. Mm-hmm. But Merlot gives richer wines, for sure, in those areas. And they drink better as young wines. There you go. So, That's good I to mean, know. One to know, a producer, uh, Juliette Becco, really brilliant young woman who's a winemaker yes. at uh, Chateau Bossejo Becco. Hmm. Um, she produces a wine in Castillon uh, called Joana Becco, J-O-A-N-I-N-B-E-C-O-T. Uh, and in these strong vintages, the wine's not dirt cheap, but it's, way undervalued for the quality of the wine and it's because it's from Castillon. So look for some of those Bordeaux Superior, uh, the Omedoc, um, Cote de Castillon, that some of the sort of border areas in the great vintages with where there are good producers involved that, that have facilities. Like that wine is produced in their Saint-Emilion facility, you know? Interesting. Cool. So you, you so, so you're getting sent to million cooking at Castillon prices. That's great. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, right. and, and and you know, I can go on about that stuff for mm-hmm. ever and ever, but don't be afraid. That's my only real message. All right. And then I think the other thing is talking about, you know, kitchen equipment. Like, what is your favorite kitchen equipment right now? You know, oh, what is, is your. your li- what is your least favorite? That's the question I've always, I want to ask you because you have a lot of stuff in the kitchen that you love. But what is the thing that you're like, why do I have that? Why does anyone <laughs> buy that? This was a mistake. <laughs> I would like to throw this out the window. Uh, those locking but what, tongs. What is that but I've, I've ta- I don't have any of those. But that's the only, you know, honestly, I, <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't have anything I don't like in my kitchen. But... Yeah, and I've talked about those before, so that's old news. Um, let's see. I, I believe that people, the reason I ask is because I believe that people do. Yeah, oh, I'm they sure. Have- well, I'll t- I can tell you if I went to my, okay, not right now, but maybe 30 years ago, if I went to my mother's house, there would be things in her kitchen that I would be like, oh, why do you have this? Like those old weird tongs that they used to make that were like wiry. Do you know what I mean? They were they were like, like I don't even know how Co- you're supposed to pick up a piece. rubber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or yeah. not. Or not. Like they were whole, it was like a, almost like a rectangle, triangly thing at the end that you were supposed to somehow <laughs> make meat. Uh, I mean, I'm like, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And that's what people used to use in their kitchens forever. And then, of course, restaurant tongs, you know, have always been around, but they weren't available to uh, normal people. So, or people out of the business, I guess I should say. So, um, you know, those tongs, uh, my mom had a weird, weird whisk when I was growing up that like was barely effective. I mean, it, I felt like it was like sort of circular in shape. Um, that thing was weird. I remember that. And what else? My mom. Oh, had. yeah. Oh, you know, I'm like, what? How does that know, even work? I, that, I mean, is I that for that honey? <laughs> I'll tell you what it was, tell you what it was good for. <laughs> yes. If, if you had little brother, if you had little brothers oh. and you could like dip it in something. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like jelly and flinging at them. It was great for that because it kind of sprung, you know. It kind of sprung. Yep. And then, yeah, so, I mean, I certainly love everything in my kitchen, but those are the things that I think, oh, and my mom had one of, well, and she probably still does, and I should probably remove it the next time I had to go to visit her because they're dangerous. And I think we've talked about this before, but I'll say it anyway. Those glass cutting boards. I'm like, man, those are horrible for your knives. Your knives are going to be dull as heck and, and like instantly, practically. And they're so darn dangerous because they're slippery. I'm like, what is the point of this thing? I, I mean, I think, I mean, and like every person for probably in the eighties or nineties had one of those things. And if anything, it, it protects your countertop, you know, like you could go from the stove to probably putting a hot pot on there. I don't know. Don't quote me on that, but you know that, or you could put something on there and not put it directly on your countertop. That's the only, only usable purpose that thing has. Do not ever you know, and and I'm glad we've come full circle with cutting boards too, because you know, for a while there, people were saying it wasn't sanitary to use a wooden board. Well, we know now it is, and we have known that now for a number of years. So, I mean, obviously, you need to handle your board correctly. Obviously, you need to clean it between uses, and if it starts to have deep gouges, you need to have it sanded down. Um, which I'm sure I don't know if people know how to do that, but um, or buy a new one. Um, but yeah, I mean, wooden boards are the best. They're good for your knives. Um, they're good for your food product, um, and they're good for you. They're they're much safer to use from the standpoint of the food's not going to slide on there. Um, but yeah, always cross contamination is an issue with anything that you're you're using uh, from a food standpoint, whether it's a bowl, a knife, um, your hands. Uh, anything, you know, clean between jobs. That's, that's how you work in a kitchen to be safe and healthy. But yeah, so those are the things that (laughs) immediately come to mind. And so Cindy, I I, I asked you to be negative to start with, (laughs) who knew, but real quick, give me a minute on what is it that everyone has to have in the kitchen? Which, what piece of equipment? Mm, Well, you have to have a good sharp chef's knife and that is the most important tool. Um, I also really love having a good peeler and the old fashioned kind of those are fine. Um, they make the new kind where you sort of pull the peeler down. It's uh, a straight across blade. They're European that they started in Europe and, um, yeah, those are cool too, but you know, a good peeler, a good chef's knife, something that you can sharpen, um, is really what you, you, you know, don't go for a complicated blade that has one edge on it or as an unusual edge, you know, don't, unless you're very good at sharpening knives, um, go for something that will last a long time. But yeah, I love regular kitchen tongs from our kitchens and we buy a seven inch tong. Those are fantastic. Uh, my boards are booze board, B O O S. Um, those are readily available from lots of different places. They're high quality wooden boards. Um, my pan of choice is either all clad or, uh, Heston. And, um, you know, those are, your pans are so important and, you know, a couple of really good spoons to work with great Kuntz's spoons that are available, uh, a lot of places as well. Now, um, those spoons are perfect for a lot of different jobs and it's nice to have a good wooden spoon as well, especially if making risotto. But, um, yeah, there's, you know, since I, this is what I do for my living, I love tools and there's so many great tools out there. I think the other thing is the new, uh, fine tongs that we use in the kitchen as well. Um, the little sort of pincher tongs and they come in different shapes and lengths. You, Um, you, you, you have an issue. What's that? 
equipment. Oh, yes. <laughs> I we, love it. I we, love it. <laughs> We've we got to sign out. Okay. So if you want to listen to this program uh, as a podcast or any other, please go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org, and look for the Former Wolf page. Uh, there should be a drop-down there with a whole menu of programs. If you want to email correspond with us, it's formanwolf at WIPR.org. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, or Instagram as Chef Cindy Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thank you for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs>